0: So Berto, I thought we would do another episode about coronavirus stuff because a lot of people are still wondering how to feel about this, and people are having a lot of feelings about it. And I don't think we're gonna say this is how you're supposed to feel or this is what you're supposed to think. But I think there is a way to kind of systematically walk ourselves through this situation that helps us to provide a way of thinking about it, a way of feeling about it, a way of managing our emotions and gives us something to do. I've developed a model. I did an episode about it a couple weeks ago, but I've, I've further developed it with people, clients, and, and other people, and myself. And I thought I'd walk you through this system and see, how, see what you think about it. What do you say?
1: Yeah, that sounds great.
0: This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor.
1: My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I manufacture little things that you can use to entertain yourself when you're in lockdown.
0: So this, I want to read an email from an anonymous person from Boston. She's a psychologist and a patron, and she's writing, she wrote this today. I'm here in Boston, hunkered down with my twin kindergartners, and we're social distancing. I listen to the podcast all the time. I know you are all in another area heavily impacted by COVID, and you seem to have a pretty calm, healthy attitude. I have to tell you, I'm having a really rough time. I feel like I'm holding a a horrible secret. I'm sure that this is going to last 18 months and about 5 million Americans are going to die. I've been tracking the data carefully and don't see any way this gets better until we have a vaccine that our amazing scientists are working on furiously. Even if our hotspot areas are isolating, it doesn't work unless everyone in the nation does it, and this is going to go in waves all over the country anyway. This whole thing about younger, healthier people not hunger younger, healthier people not being at risk has been massively overstated. Forty percent of hospitalizations are people aged twenty to forty four. We're quickly running out of hospital and ICU beds. Healthy infected people will still become ill and with with very treatable pneumonias and will be turned away from hospitals left to die. Our amazing healthcare workers are getting infected left and right and are now wearing trash bags for protection because they don't have protective gear. I just know – I'm just not sure how everyone seems to think this is all going to be okay. I'm not freaking out about me needing to distance and take care uh, of and my homeschool kids. I'm terrified for my country and people who are more vulnerable. I'm, I'm also convinced this virus will soon be at everyone's door and we'll either die or lose our friends and our family members. End of email. Berto, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, on, but on, on other news, <laughs> like basically that is mostly, mostly true. I, I mean, the, the sense that this isn't going to just like magically disappear. We definitely will need a vaccine. Uh, it will affect more people than just the old. There are going to be a lot of deaths. All that is true. And it's a huge impact um, I, I for example I have a few friends that that are that post every now and then ah oh, but shouldn't we consider the economic impact of shutting down it's like absolutely it sucks it doesn't not suck and I think we had been very 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 privileged for a long time our generation because even though we had like the Iraq war and 9/11 and stuff all of that, Tales for us in comparison with World War Two, World War One, the Spanish Flu, and then the horror atrocities from before in history. Like so, we had been privileged and we had lived in a, in a in a time that there were bad things for sure, but we hadn't had our major um, catastrophe, if you will, uh, at a global scale like this. And now we are, and and this one, hopefully, because of modern tech. Uh, maybe it won't be as disastrous as the Spanish flu uh and so forth. But it is going to suck. And I don't disagree. This is going to take a while. And there's no, like, happy solution. No matter what we do right now, like, if we all went back to work, absolutely. A lot of people would get sick and die more, way more, right? And it could be disastrous. And it's going to overwhelm the system. It's already overwhelming many places. So I, I don't have, like... Uh, a simple happy answer. I, I, I don't disagree that it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad for a while. The flip side is, if we look at history, um, humanity did survive other major things and didn't just survive, but thrived afterwards. There was a lot of pain to pay, but it, it, it wasn't the end of us yet. Uh, I don't see this being the end of us. It, not at all. Like It's going to suck, and we will get through it. There are worse things coming, though, and if anything, we should learn from this, because unlike the uh, COVID, we cannot just stay home and, and revert climate change. I mean, actually, it does help with emissions. But once the major effects of climate change really start kicking in, it's not just about staying home. It's going to be way worse. So uh, I think that is something that we need to start all doing something about proactively now rather than wait till the emergency. As an example in this case, if we had been doing – we as in our country, our government, our world – had been doing more to prepare for this very real eventuality, uh, I think we could have had certain provisions in place that were effective at, at controlling it sooner. But anyways, that's my take.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Well, so I I did an episode yesterday about how angry – I was – I. I Someone emailed in about how angry they were that they this was actually an email that was sent months ago about how angry they were that they were sick because the only reason why she was ang- why she was sick was because someone else didn't wash their hands essentially oh. um, and or they went to work when they were sick or whatever and it and I just randomly came on that as I was responding to patron emails and it sparked in me a lot of anger that I had about. Not only in the past, but now, and um, so I don't know. Listen to that episode for mm-hmm. more information on that. But, but I want to walk you through, Umberto, my developing model of how to deal with the emotions involved here. So, um, there, I in my previous episode where I actually walked through the model, um, I've I've modified it, I've refined it since then. So, Umberto, let me ask you some questions. Okay. Number 1, how much fear is rational for you to feel on a scale from 1 to 10? You know, how much danger are you in? Now, I'll say at the onset, there's no there's no scientific answer to this. It just it's it's your evaluation based on where you are right now. You know, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much fear is rational given the situation?
1: Okay, for me right now I'd say that if, um, let's see, a, a five is, um, actually, maybe that's what we should define. D- give me an example of a five in your mind of, of rational fear. Like what kind Can of you situation? Tell me what? Okay. Maybe a situation like, like a 10 is like, we're being bombed. Like there's bombs falling from the sky, you know, and like they're landing on my house, you know, like that's kind of a 10. Um, a five might be, uh, I hear, someone breaking into my house, you know, maybe that's a six or something, you know? Um, Here's
0: someone breaking in your house. That's like a nine, okay, fine, dude.
1: Five, 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 five. Okay, how about, um, well, I don't know. You're right, that's fair. So how about uh, a five is, uh, I have a fever, and, and like in normal times, not in COVID times. Like I have a fever of like 102. Uh, so maybe that's a five for me, you know? Um, okay. But right now I'd say, for me for my situation the way i'm dealing with things and and staying home and everything i i'd say i'm probably at a 3 um i am i maybe a little higher than that for my relatives cuz i do have some older relatives that i am i'm a little concerned about uh but not not immediately just i, I don't know how these things are going to develop in the next few months and so that does worry me a bit maybe i'm more closer to like a 4 or 5 with them but for me personally, I'm at a, about a three, and I think that that's rational because I'm staying home, I'm, I'm being careful about packages that get delivered, and I am staying healthy, you know, eating right, sleeping right, those kinds of things.
0: Does it fluctuate over time, that number? Um,
1: yes, I, I do think so, yes. I think it it is affected by the news and by uh, uh, when I listen to... To, for example, when I when I listen to a press conference from the president, it actually my my anxiety goes up. <laughs> um, but yeah,
0: okay. So that's just giving us a baseline moving forward. It's a pr- pretty short question, uh, and you provided a you know a good good response to it with all the nuances. Okay, number two. Now we go into a cost benefit analysis of that fear. Emotions have function. When we are sad, it motivates us to recognize what's making us sad. It also uh, produces external signals to other people that we're sad, and then us and other people respond to alleviate the problem so that we are no longer sad. When we're afraid, it alerts us and other people to the fact that we're in danger and then it motivates us to eliminate that danger so that we no longer feel afraid you stand next to a cliff and you look over the edge and it's very far down you f- you have a fear response that shoots through your body and your body is saying get the fuck away from that cliff <laughs> and and as soon as you step away from the cliff you no longer feel that fear anymore all animals, uh, for the most part, most animals have this emotional adaptation, and we are no different. So the question then is, you know, how but, – but because we're complex thinkers that can uh, think about the future, you know, if a virus was moving through the feline population in my neighborhood, my cat wouldn't care. Even even if my cat could possibly understand the fact that there was a a virus going through the neighborhood, she doesn't have the ability to think into the future very far right. and or even to comprehend death. And so she'd just be like, eh, you know, there's actually a lot of research on this, that animals have a different way of coping. And we're very particular in the way that we experience our reality because of our ability to project into the future, which we're doing all the time, by the way. <laughs> Um, so so it it complicates things a little bit, but anyway, um, so emotions have function. So two point A is what I'm calling it now. It, I have A, B, and C in, in in number two. Number one was how much fear is rational. Number two is the cost benefit analysis. So A is we got to evaluate the problem. So what is the problem exactly? Um, you know, for example, you know the problem is you, Umberto, might get infected. right? Or you you might pass along the virus or someone else that you know might get the virus and they might die. Um, Economic downturn. I might have mentioned all of them, but what else could you say about your evaluation of the problem? We have to establish that as the foundation. We've established your baseline, a rational fear level, and now we have to evaluate the baseline of the exact problem that makes you afraid. So what would you say about that?
1: Okay. So uh, a few things. First off, not only am I afraid that I could get the virus, I feel like, well, um, although I'm not like 80 plus, um, you know, whenever I've gotten in my life, whenever I've gotten, uh, uh, what do you call it, respiratory um, illnesses, they usually hit me pretty hard. I had a lot of them when I was a kid. I grew up in a household that was a smoking household until I was 15 so i I don't know that I'm certain that like, oh, if it hits me, I'll be one of those really mild cases. And as a result, I worry that, well man, what if I did get pneumonia? What if I did die? Like that's worrisome. Second, um you know i have I have folks in my life that that I am important to, and they are important to me and if if myself or they got uh, um, infected, there's this there's a scare because not well, not only that they're sick, potentially they could die but but there's also like the isolation like you can't even see them potentially you can't you can't reach out to them you can't be there at their side like that's frightening and then uh as far as my old relatives there is that direct risk of yeah they're old they're in totally the right category and not only like for example my my mom isn't necessarily in the right category of risk but she is there age-wise. But she's normally very healthy. She's got a ton of friends who I know because I've known them basically all my all my life, who are at risk. They're older than her. They have illnesses. They have comorbidities. All that stuff. So that's that's a risk. And um, besides that, there's other risks that I think about. Like the economy is tanked, and and it's it's recovering sometimes, and then going back down, uh, which means like financially that is uncertain. What if uh Companies started cutting jobs. What if I lost my job? What if I, what if I had to, um, what if I went into debt? All those things are concerning, but not just about me. My neighborhood, my city. What if people enough people start not having money and they start trying to like go out and get food in whatever ways they can't? Like those are concerning factors.
0: Right. So to be clear, uh, before moving forward, I haven't said this is that everyone has their own different take on how much fear is rational and the evaluation of the problem. You listening out there might be like, yeah, totally on board with what Humberto was saying. Some of you might be like, actually, I have a different take. I feel like I should be a 1 on the scale or I feel like I should be an 8. All of that is rational. There's no no one can tell you that you're wrong. It's it's your take on the experience. There's no empirical right reaction to this and and right evaluation of the problem. But all of you, I think, could benefit by walking yourselves through this this model. Um, And it's basically a uh, cognitive behavioral sort of application in a sense. It's also a narrative application and a schema application. But anyway, so the other thing is is in this um, uh, section, this 2A section evaluation of the problem is – You want to make sure that you're basing your evaluation of the problem on reliable data from experts. Now, Umberto is smart enough to know um, prior to this event even happening enough about biology and science and news reporting to sift through, I'm sure, lots of different data that's being thrown at him to be able to figure out a, a, a rational or reliable set of data to base his evaluation of the problem on um also i have found that in the mainstream media the information is is being reported pretty well there are exceptions of course but uh at least currently there there's i haven't seen any mainstream media do um you know i would say like 90 percent of it is is reliable information um so it's so it's kind of particular to this situation now if you're in a echo chamber on facebook then it's possible that literally a hundred percent of the information that's being fed to you is is not a reliable source um, like you know taking a certain uh, uh, supplement provided by a certain person trying to make money is going to solve your problems you know all that kind of stuff <laughs> did you
1: um, did, did you see the the one it's so tragic some um, council member or something I forget where it was that was in a council city council meeting saying that uh, what you should do is use a blow dryer in your mouth because the hot air can kill the virus yeah wow
0: (laughs) yeah i mean what echo chamber was that person in or are they just stupid i mean the idea that people don't understand science isn't anything new but um anyway so so umberto you just you know in addition to what i threw out there risk of infection risk of passing on the virus economic downturn increase in crime uh, other people being hurt, specific people in your life being hurt. Uh, uh, what does that mean? Uh, maybe even long term lung problems, you know, all this are is evaluation of the problem. And by the way, this model k- applies to any kind of emotional fear reaction, or really any reaction. Okay, so cost benefit analysis, to point B is now that we have your baseline uh, anxiety that you've determined to be rational, which is a three or four. You've evaluated the problem that I think most people would agree with. They, they feel that that's the problem they're facing as well. Now we take that because because emotions are useful. And when you're standing next to the cliff and you feel the fear, it motivates you to devise a plan. Get the fuck away from that cliff. When you know someone is trying to put a needle into your arm, and you have a visceral fear reaction, um, you evaluate the problem. And you're like, well, my body feels like it's a bad thing. But actually, my my cognitive mind understands my higher mind understands there's no there's very little risk to this needle. In fact, it's supposed to help me so I have so I'm going to devise a plan to not react to my fear. Whereas when you're next to the cliff, you might say I'm going to I'm going to go along with what my fear is telling me to do. So we have, so now that we understand the problem we understand the emotion now we now we develop a plan and i think this is the thing that everyone's doing in essence but if we if we formalize it i think it helps to give us an idea of like what to do later which i'll which i'll talk about in a second but let's talk about umberto your official action plan to increase your safety and address the problems that you identified what are you doing And or what else do you do you need to do? Let's let's go through your list.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, All right. The the most obvious and immediate thing is I have been staying at home. Uh, This is my fourth week, actually. Um, But uh, the first week wasn't exclusively at home. It was just I was avoiding going out the the last two weeks for sure. Maybe the last three weeks. Uh, I have not left my house oh, well sorry i've gone outside but i have not I have not used my car or wandered away from like the surrounding area around my house um and and that's obviously to minimize the risk of contagion or me passing it on to others if I caught it and stuff like that um The second thing is uh I do get deliveries and so uh just because i've heard conflicting reports but I've heard about like the virus might be able to live on surfaces for this long or that long. So what I've been doing is I never open the door and like greet the people delivering. And I also never grab the deliveries right away. I've been letting them sit depending on what it is. Uh if it's not a an a perishable I actually let it sit overnight. There's been a couple things that I let sit two days in the garage or whatever. Uh but if it's a perishable I wait a, a couple hours maybe um, or however long it might be before I think it might be a risk, it helps that it's cooler weather still. But and then I go and I you know open the thing, and then I always I don't bring the bags in to the house. I kind of dispose of those or keep them in the garage, and then I wash my hands afterwards. Um, and then beyond that, uh, I have been doing. I've been trying to uh, eat healthy, get enough sleep, and do daily exercise so that I both keep my my health and my sanity. And, you know, in the in the off chance that I did catch it or uh, maybe it could help if I was healthier to start with. Um, And then beyond that, I've been trying to minimize uh, frivolous expenses. And it's not too hard to do when you're locked in your house, because I haven't been spending all the money I usually spend in restaurants and movie theaters. Um, And, uh, yeah, that's what comes to mind.
0: So you mentioned another problem in there, which is interesting, of sanity. So uh, you didn't mention that when you're evaluating the problem. Oh, so yeah. we, have to add, we have to add that to the problem, which is, all, in addition to all the other things you said, is your own sanity, which is, I think, another thing a lot of people are thinking about. Okay, so you mentioned a lot of things. Again, most people are probably doing this. Hopefully they're staying home as much as possible, wiping things down. Um, the thing you didn't mention that I'm doing, which is bugging people in my life to do everything they can, oh. like stay home and blah, blah, Because I feel like some people aren't taking it as seriously as I am. Um, like with my parents, uh, you know, well after I had completely self-isolated in my house, my parents were still going to the YMCA and because they're really integrated into that community. My mom sometimes even teaches classes and and I'm like, mom, no, like, don't go to the YMCA. What are you doing? And she's like, well, you know, I'm doing everything I can. And um, now it wasn't long, maybe just a few days later when she was like, oh, I guess we're not going to the YMCA anymore. And then they close, they closed it down. But <laughs> but that's something that I'm doing is just, like, making sure everyone it understands. And I continually do this, you know. I, I And I'm also sending out all these messages to all my family of, like, we're in this for the long haul. Yeah. So – until you know as soon as it starts to feel like it's okay to go outside let's wait another 90 days and then let's go outside because there's no there's no guarantee that another wave isn't coming and so you know it's everyone just get used to this
1: so, so let, let me uh sorry let me comment on that because i think that's super valuable uh i'm not doing it as much as it sounds like you are doing it which makes sense i i am doing it in some regards Um, I, I can, I have a similar story about my mom where, um, she was telling, she was very proud of how much her church was addressing the issue. And she was telling me, this was a few weeks ago. She's like, no, it's great. Like, um, we, uh, we're no longer dipping the host in the wine. And, uh, although we're still passing the wine around, uh, we're making sure that it's well wiped each time. (laughs) And I was like, mom, no, like you're. You're still all drinking from the same cup, <laughs> but um, you, but uh, luckily that
0: yeah that always dry. I mean, as a as a germaphobe myself, that just dr- whenever I would go to a Catholic mass, it always just boggled the mind. I I, I always thought like. Uh, viruses must just run rampant through catholic churches i mean they just like sometimes the priest just kind of barely wipes it down you know he just he has like a like this little you know ceremonial cloth and he just kind of waves it over the the goblet and hands it to the next person and i'm just like does 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 no one understand uh the passage of viruses like you're basically just french kissing everyone in the room. Like how stupid are you? You know, thank you lord god for giving me the, you know, the 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 body while, you know, putting me into the hospital. It's just it's just so absurd. And it you know, cuz I grew up in a church where there was a platter with all these little shot glasses. And mm-hmm. so so everyone had their own shot glass of grape juice. Smart or, yeah, well, probably not entirely, uh, uh, you know, uh, good, but at least better than everyone drinking out of the same yeah. stupid, stupid cup. And yeah. by the way, a priest who is with his hands picking up wafers and placing it in people's <laughs> mouths, you know, it's like, anyway, so hopefully, yeah, I oh God. um, now, uh, so yeah, so, so that's your action plan. This is your plan to increase your safety, which is why you had fear in the first place. You have a fear response. It's a three or a four, sometimes spiking up if, you know, you're watching the news or something. And then you, in response to that fear emotion, developed an action plan to address that fear and to increase your safety, stay home, wiping down things, you know, I'm bugging people to stay home. Uh, don't greet your delivery person, let things sit outside, washing your hands, um, eat, sleep, exercise. I'll also add to the list, which is implied, is um, getting scientific information. Um, You know, the the fact that you know to leave it outside in the cold for a while, that that reduces the risk a little bit um, means that you understand how biology works, which is is complicated. You know, virus, uh, you know, uh physiology is actually pretty strange and is not intuitive. So, you know, that's, that's what you're going to do. Now, uh, some of the problems that might happen, we can't address. Like you talked about how you were having fear of an economic downturn. There's nothing Umberto is going to be able to do about right. the economic downturn. Um, some people might start writing in the streets. There's nothing you and I can do to stop that, there might be little, tiny little things, but it's not much. And so we have to recognize that some of the things we're afraid of that we're having rational fear around, there's nothing we can do. Okay, so.
1: We could become uh, vigilantes, though.
0: We could. <laughs> uh, what would be our our sort of costumes? You know, what, who would you be and what, who would I be?
1: Oh, uh, I would wear something that looks like a syringe, you know, like a vaccine syringe. And so, like, I'd have like a spiky, a spiky hat, and like part of my outfit would be a tube that was half red, half white.
0: <laughs> okay, wow, uh, that is weird. Um, what would be your name, like Miss, like Captain? Inoculator. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and so that's that. We now, and that's good. You know that we're doing a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, of the fear now, uh, meaning that there's a benefit to having the fear to motivate you to do these things, and you're you're benefiting from that. You're benefiting from all those measures that you are, um, you know, uh, reacting to the fear. And now, the last part of part two is the C part of this, which is a maintenance of the plan. So you've developed the plan, and you've probably done this naturally as well. Is how are you going to revise the plan? and maintain the plan over time. So, like how often do you, Umberto, uh want to revisit the plan and revise it if necessary? At what period of time?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um I think I've been implicitly doing that sort of on a weekly basis, but now it occurs to me that I haven't like sat down and thought about it. So maybe a weekly cadence would be good. Um what I had what had happened is if you had asked me the question about fear, uh i don't know what it was 4 weeks ago i think i would have been like a 5 or a 6 because i saw inaction of the government and the and the authorities and things and 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 you know when the government is not helping the citizens take their own action it it becomes harder in these situations because for example if people are not told you have to stay home they're like well i can't stay home i got to go to work right Um, And so I was getting pretty worried that it was not only that, I I happened to live really close to where the first epicenter was at that life care center. And I was like, oh my gosh, people, the workers, everyone must have been around this whole area for the last two weeks. And that was really worrisome. Um, But I think week to week, and again, this was implicit, but I kept looking and okay, okay, it doesn't look like, it looks like it was really contained and it sucks for them and it was a tragedy, but it looks like it wasn't fully spread in the community uh, you know immediately number one number two finally the authorities and the government started doing stuff and started you know so so that started helping me and so then what would have happened differently is uh, like if things had kept going a certain direction i would have had to like you know self-quarantine myself anyways and maybe it would have had repercussions with my job or whatever but i would have had to take different actions so i think at this point looking week to week how things are developing, any new information that's coming out. But I, 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 as I'm thinking about it, I feel like spending a little time maybe each Sunday or so to reflect and think, you know, what what could I be doing different might be useful.
0: Good. So you're saying about once a week, and uh, I would say uh, maybe a similar cadence for me as well. And with the caveat or the asterisk of if a new situation arises, I need a new plan to address that new situation. Like if, for example, I don't know, um someone's gonna come over to the house for some reason because I need to do that, or I'm gonna go for a drive. You know, that's one thing I was thinking yeah. about doing was just getting out of the neighborhood because I don't know, it just feels like I want to do that. Maybe like you know, because you could visit people as long as you just like Jimmy Kimmel is actually doing this really great YouTube stuff right now. Oh, yeah. And and he went to see Bill Burr and he Bill Burr came out of his house and uh, Jimmy Kimmel stayed in his car, and they just talked while Jimmy Kimmel was in the car, and Bill Burr was like, I don't know, twelve feet away on the oh. on the sidewalk, and so they did an interview that way. And uh, nice. you can absolutely, you know, like, I could go to my parents' house, stay in my car um, with the window rolled down a little bit while my parents were, you know, twenty feet away, and we could just yell at each other for a half an hour. <laughs> um, so, so there's that. Um, and but, I would but, need a the, revision of the plan, you know, because it's like, okay, well, how far is rational? What if my mom decides she wants to get a little closer? What do I tell her to get the fuck away from me? Because I don't <laughs> want, you know what I mean? Like, what do we do th- for that? That kind of thing.
1: So so the problem I have is I've watched too many Final Destination movies. So, you know, the way it turns out for me is I'm like, well, I, I mean, what's the harm? I'm just going to get in my car, drive over to Kirk's, roll down the window, be like, what's up, man? But then, unfortunately, on the way there, I get a flat tire. I have to stop for gas. I get in a bump fender bender with someone else that was trying to do the same thing. And, and now, all of a sudden, my exposure is out, out the window.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or, I guess, to be in true Final Destination uh, mode, a stray a – bomb, a bomb left over from World War II is in my front lawn <laughs> – And explodes as I step on it and like all my blood splatters all over your face (laughs) and you get infected anyway. Um, Yeah. Sorry for exposing everyone to that image. But um, and by the way, that is a thing. There were bombs that were uh, floated through the jet stream from Japan in World War II to the west coast of the United States and some of them have been found, and one of them actually killed a bunch of kids as they came upon it, which is oh, interesting. God. Anyway, so let's take a break, and we get back. Let's go on to let's let's continue with my model and go to the final step in my model of of how to uh, you know manage our emotions and put it to good use. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. <laughs> All right, we're back from the break. Please become a patron of the podcast if you haven't done so yet. It's how we know that you like the podcast. Um, if you appreciate what we're doing, just go to patreon.com, become a patron of the podcast. It would be super cool if you did that. All right, so number three here. So again, we did the rational amount of fear. You're a three or a four. The cost benefit analysis, the emotions have function, you evaluated the problem. You have an action plan, and your maintenance is about once a week and I say that because we don't want to evaluate the plan too often, you know because that just creates more work for us and more anxiety so uh you know that's the whole you know reason why we have this system that i'm that I'm saying it's like. If you might want to look at your practices, if you are evaluating your plan every 10 minutes, because you're watching the news, it's freaking you out. And you're like, wait, I need to do this. Wait, what am I doing? What am I, you know, it's, it's like, it's anxiety provoking, because you're, you're constantly revising a plan that doesn't need to be revised. Um, The plan if you've established a good plan, Enact a plan, and now you're you, you should be okay you 're at the edge of the a cliff you get a fear response you make a decision to walk away from the you know from the side of the cliff as you 're walking away you shouldn't be like wait should I walk away or should I go forward you know what should I, should I duck and roll like you 've made a plan you're walking away you, d- you decided that was a good plan. And you know, don't overtax yourself by reevaluation reevaluating more often than you feel like you need to. Okay. So sense. number three is now that we've had our fear response, we've had our action to address the fear, we have our maintenance plan, any extra fear beyond that is excessive, superfluous, a surplus, and not entirely rational. Now, we might not be able to do anything about that extra fear, but we can categorize that fear as unhelpful. Um, you know, uh, using my cliff analogy, you walk up to the cliff, you get fear, it motivates you to walk away. You make a plan, you walk away, and then like two hours later, you're like, "Oh my god, I could have fallen off that cliff," and you <laughs> have another you have another fear response. And then a week later, "Oh my god, you know what if I fall off a cliff randomly?" <laughs> okay. That fear is not helpful because it's. What are you going to do about that fear? You're no. You're nowhere near a cliff. You don't have any plans to go near a cliff. You're just having a fear response. Now, as an anxious person myself, I fully relate to that process of having irrational, ex- excessive fear. I would venture to say that probably ninety-nine point nine percent of the fear emotions I've had in my life has been extra and superfluous. <laughs> and yeah. Unhelpful, you know, uh, beyond the stage of of action, um, I've I've had fear responses, and so, uh, so I'm not saying that it's unusual, but we have to be able to identify that there's a useful nature to fear. Once we've established that usefulness um, of the fear, any extra fear we label as something that we want to try to manage. And there's no plan for that other than trying to manage it and emotionally regulate. Okay.
1: How, how does it work? How does it work in cases like, um, okay, okay. Let's say that what it was is that you like to drive very cl- This is contrived. So let me pick something better. Okay. You drove drunk and you nearly hit a pole or, or even a pedestrian or something and Uh, and then you got really lucky, but you got really scared. And then so you would think, well, I don't know, maybe some amount of that recurring fear will keep you from doing that again. Like, How how do you distinguish between recurring fear that might be helpful to control behavior?
0: Well, the recurring fear in that situation, which is a good analogy, is if let's say you've decided I'm never going to drink and drive ever again, and you're confident that you're never going to do that again. Well, any extra fear is like it's, it's cropping up as a natural reaction, like, oh, shit, I almost killed someone or I almost killed myself. Um, but you would label it as extra because you've, you've established you're never going to drink again. Now, for most people, they're not quite sure they're never going to drink again. Um, they've, prob- uh, they've probably made similar vows and broken those vows may- maybe hundreds of times in the past. And so the fear is like, are you sure that your plan is actually going to work? You've, you've vowed to never drink and drive again, but you've done that before. And so your, your plan isn't strong enough to address that fear. Now, maybe you're, maybe there is no, you know, it's kind of a bad example because, um, you know, yeah, but, but there might be some situations where it's like, well, there's only so much I can do. Like, like another uh, element we haven't talked about is, um, you know, in the, in the, in the, evaluation of the problem we both have the problem is people could die well we right. can't actually get rid of death so no matter what plan we put to it whether it's coronavirus or something else in all likelihood older people in our lives are going to die before we do and um meaning that we might die before them but in all likelihood they're going to die before us and so we're going to experience them dying and so if um, after I enact my plan, I'm still waking up in the middle of the night and going like, "Well, what if my parents die? What if you know? Well, it it it's not that's extra. It's true that it's gonna they're gonna die, but it's not. There's no plan to address that. So it in the similar way that the economic downturn is just gonna happen, mm. there's there's nothing you can do about it. So therefore, it's extra fear. Now it's rational to have a fear response to that, but we label it as it's not helpful. It's it's part of that extra human cognitive capacity that it's sort of it's interesting <laughs> and if it, it alerts us to like, well, maybe I'll vote differently or maybe I'll talk about it a little bit here and there or maybe I'll you know, next time I see my parents, I'll be like, hey, did you think about exercising more or whatever? Um, maybe it'll, you know, there'll be a little bit of a plan, but ultimately, hmm. I, we're, you know, certain inevitable things that are just going to happen and so, therefore, it, the, the fear, it doesn't help us that the benefit to the fear uh, it, it might not actually outweigh the cost of the fear. And the cost of – you know, fear has a lot of cost is the thing. It's stressful. Um, it's unpleasant. It, uh, you know, uh, it distracts us from other things that we might want to pay attention to. Also, extra fear might actually increase our danger and might actually increase harm to others. For example, when you're hoarding supplies – that is someone who is developing a, a action plan for their fear, and, may, and they're having excessive fear about, you know, not being able to wipe their butts with enough toilet paper, and <laughs> and they're they're freaking out. <laughs> By the way, just a side note, um, in my family, I don't know if my dad wants me to talk about this. I think he's cool with it. Um, <laughs> when when I was a kid, my dad was potty training me. He told me to use two squares of toilet paper. Uh I'm guessing because when you're that small, you know, you're I don't know how old you are when you you know you get potty trained three years old or something. Uh, Two squares probably is a lot. Plus, as a parent, you're trying to save money on toilet paper in the 70s and you're like look don't just don't just go fling, you know, and just get like (laughs) five thousand squares, because you know, kids you know, they might want to get a lot on there. And so I think my dad was like, use two squares, knowing that I would under, you know, under a locked door would probably double that to four, which would be sufficient or something. And so, and I remember early in my life going like, I don't think two squares really cuts it, you know what I mean? (laughs) And and like, and like going, I'm I'm being a bad boy by going to eight squares or something. Anyway, so (laughs) years, years later, like 20, 30 years later. You know, me and my family, I have three siblings, we're all, t- you know, and it just suddenly occurs to me, I was like, dad, do you remember like the two square thing? And then my older brother's like, oh my God, he did the same thing to me. And my dad had no memory of it. He's just like, I don't remember <laughs> telling you guys, two- but but me and my brother both remembered it. And so we're just like, no, dad, you told us two squares. So now it's this big joke. Um, and, uh, you know, in my family message uh, chain, and so they sent out like, you know, make, you know. Toilet paper shortage, make sure you use two squares like dad always said. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, so so extra fear means you're going to do things extra like hoarding supplies that, that harms people. Increased stress impairs your immune function. Um, going to the store too often to stock up because you're afraid of, you know, missing out on something means more exposure. So not only is fear just superfluous and extra suffering – but it can actually cause the problem you're trying to avoid. Um, And this is important, you know, so blah, blah, blah. All right. Yeah. So what do we do with this extra fear? So Berto, tell me, uh, after, you know, in your typical kind of cruising speed of your day, you're, uh, uh, you're enacting your plan, your plan is enacted, you're probably kind of in a routine these past few days. How much fear are you feeling kind of background on a minute-by-minute basis?
1: Uh, right. So I, I think what, what uh, happens is minute minute to minute, I, I kind of forget about stuff because I get busy. And so then my, my fear probably reduces actually quite a bit in that. But then what happens, the, the triggers that are, I think, bumping me above the rational fear end up being um, – News and comf- – com- like those uh, daily updates that they do, the daily briefings from the White House, uh, which I basically stopped listening to yesterday and I don't think I'll listen to today because what, what, what was happening is that was bumping my fear back up and, um, and then even – the other thing was I would get on Facebook or I would get even on my group chats with my family and stuff like that uh, and whenever anyone else is posting – more stats and more things um which I had been doing as well i i start i start get, i start getting well it depends what it is granted like s- some things are actually really helpful. I found that uh every now and then people post actually pretty helpful resources um I think what the the kind that triggers me a little bit more involuntarily actually are uh and maybe this is ironic whenever someone posts something about how uh, oh, such and such scientist uh, says that this is getting better, or such and such scientist says this is going to be way worse. Um, those kind of things actually bump me a little bit more, even if they're on the direction of it's going to get better, because it's it's like these anecdotal things. And I think, I'm just thinking about this now, but I think my reaction to that is feeling a feeling of chaos, like, oh, everyone's just got all these opinions. And I I already have a natural predisposition to be stressed about the lack of certainty about things. Me and my therapist used to talk about this, about me as a kid feeling like there's no truth and no answers. Why did my dad and my mom separate? Why can't I be with both of all those things? And so I think that comes up whenever I see such and such's opinion is blah. Um, The ones that I think don't trigger me as much is when it's just more like a link to a study or a link to guidelines or, or things like that. Uh, but when it is uh, um, opinions and press conferences and all those things, that's where I get, I, I've noticed I get very antsy. Uh, and I think it's because of that. It's just like, oh, one person says this, another person says that. Who is to know? We're all going to die.
0: Right. So in you did this naturally as well. You were noticing that part of your plan to address your fear was to check resources and news and to share things and to read things that other people were sending and to pay attention to briefings and this kind of stuff. This was, you didn't mention this, but this was part of your plan to address your fear. And I think people need to codify it in that way. You know, when you're watching the news about coronavirus, unless you just have some sort of morbid curiosity, which I suppose is possible, um, a big reason why we do that is because It's to – we're afraid of something and we're looking to the news to to provide us information so that we can – guide, so it can guide us in our life so that we can, again, develop a plan to address our fear. And you were noticing that you were watching this the news. You were watching these briefings and that was part of your plan, but it actually wasn't – it it wasn't ultimately overall a good cost-benefit analysis.
1: So it's very interesting because – I actually, you you and I have talked before about how in my past, I have had these bouts of being addicted to the news. Uh, I, I think I'd mentioned when OJ's trial happened, I was glued to that trial and I was really addicted and it really was harmful to my psyche. And then in 9-11, I was glued to the news. And, and that's actually really great examples of, I wish I had had this model of an, analyzing the fear and things like that, that you're presenting because... Um, it was completely irrational. Obviously, the the fear of, oh, we just got attacked and people died. And what if we got attacked in my city? And what if someone I know gets... A-? All that is the rational part. But then the rest became con- constantly irrational, high levels of fear. And my only plan was watching news, right? My plan was, I will watch news. Hopefully, they will ease my pain, <laughs> Uh, and then I think that what I noticed recently, obviously, with way more tools than I used to have back then, there was this YouTube channel that, that I had been watching that actually I found really helpful. Um, I, I've stopped watching it daily just because I now I feel like I we're now at a point where I kind of have enough info to to mostly keep going. And then I check in. But that channel was actually good because it was mostly presenting data and it was mostly talking about what to do to prepare and blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't like uh, – and the guy's voice was calm and it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I'm really concerned. No, 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 that stuff. Um, but then it was when I really started listening to the normal news and the press conferences and the posts from everyone and their mothers with everyone's opinions. That's the overload that really I, I felt started. And so I've been, I've been trying to cut back on that because I think that that doesn't help me.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, this is what I'm calling behavioral maintenance of ex- extra fear. You're like, okay, I identify that I have this extra fear. That's not helpful due to this behavior, which is watching the press briefings. Uh, it's not helpful. This this extra fear doesn't inform anything. It doesn't it doesn't change my plan. It's not any really new information other than the fact that the government isn't um you know, as doing the things that I would like them to do. And so, and there's nothing I can do about that until November, um, aside from posting stuff, I suppose, but, you know, that doesn't really do much. And so I am going to uh, manage my fear spikes by just not watching those press briefings. Um, So that's great. So all of you out there listening, think about those things. You know, where are you an Umberto during 9-11 where you're mistaking the – uh, anxiety that you're feeling as a helpful motivation to watch the news more, which is just causing you to be more uh, afraid. Uh, my wife had a spike in anxiety the other night, and her conclusion was, you know, being married to a therapist isn't all the time great, but uh, maybe in this instance it helped, I'm not sure. But she came to the conclusion that she wouldn't watch the news, and she there's a face... She's in a f- – like I always talk about this, how your experience of Facebook is completely different from mine because okay. I have – I like mute people or there's certain I, – I, I click on things in such a way that Facebook doesn't feed me the kinds of things that it feeds you. And so uh, my experience of Facebook is cat pictures and, you know, graduation pictures and funny videos, and it's a pleasant place. To you, Facebook is that, but it's also, like, half this horrific place. And so um, my wife was actually – I think her Facebook feed is similar to yours, uh-huh. and so she she decided I need to not, you know, browse Facebook in the middle of the night. And so, um, so everyone out there, just think about yourself. There's lots of other things that you can do as well, like – um, how often are you talking with others about this? You know, just think about the things you can do to reduce that excessive extra fear that you're getting. The other I, thing I, that... S- sorry, I,
1: I, I wanted to add one thing. When, um, I think three weeks ago or, or something, it was in February, <clears throat> uh, there, you know how they have these community uh, groups on Facebook? So like I live in Kirkland, so there's like a Be Neighborly Kirkland group. I don't know if you've seen that, but anyways, there's there's actually multiple versions. One of them is called Be Neighborly Kirkland Uncensored. And at the time I posted, uh, you, when the um, life care stuff started coming out, I made a post to that group saying, uh, I was linking to a video about Wuhan and about their lockdown in Wuhan. And I was saying, hey, uh, I, I think we need to, as a community, come together and talk to our, our representatives because... Uh, I don't think we know what's coming. Here's an example. Check out this video if you can. And and I did like five bullet points of things that I thought we needed to do, like schools need to be sent, kids need to be sent home, blah, blah. And I had like five points. I only received mostly, there, there's only like five people that really commented on the thing. And, and those five, maybe seven, and out of the seven, five of them were like, really lame assholes. Like it was stuff. And I know you're, I'm preaching to the choir here, I'm sure, with all your experiences with YouTube and stuff. But it was stuff like, you know, oh, here we go. Uh, uh, our neighbors trying to change the world or whatever. And then other people like, dude, you can't count on our government. If you're not already prepared for stuff like this, that's on you. And then other people be like, uh, oh, whatever. You're just a liberal cuck overreacting. blah blah. blah. All these things. And I just like was so disappointed, and obviously I stopped posting on that on that community. Um, but uh, but you know, I, that was one of the ways I was trying to uh, assuage my fear was I don't know maybe we as a community could come together and like talk to our representatives. Uh, and that was obviously the wrong outlet for that community instinct. Now, I'm not saying that c- coming as a community is not useful, but that particular Facebook group was not.
0: Yeah, and uh, instead of doubling down, you're just like, okay, not unhelpful, um, not going to enhance my life, not going to help me with my fears uh, moving on in life. Yeah. Um, the other part of this is so that's behaviors that we can do to manage our anxiety, our extra anxiety that we've deemed unhelpful or not rational to focus on. The other thing is cognitive maintenance, which is, you know, what thoughts do you need to invoke in between the planning sessions to take away that extra fear. Um, And also, another part of this is acceptance of the uncertainty. Um, You know, some of our extra fear might be due to the fact that we just don't really know what's going to happen. Who's going to die? Am I going to get sick? Um, What's going to happen to the economy? None of us know the answer to that. And so if your fear is based on the uncertainty of it, it's unhelpful fear um, it's rational fear but it's not helpful to to have that resonating through your bones on, on a minute by minute basis so part of it might be cognitively you just have to say to yourself uh, things are uncertain and, and although it's normal to feel afraid about that um, you know, I just have to accept that none of us know what's going to happen and um, none of us know what's going to happen at any point in time so I'm not saying this is easy to do but there are things that you can say to yourself that might help. So for you, Berto, in between these planning sessions, when you're like, okay, I'm going to recognize my fear, I'm going to make a plan, what mantras are you saying to yourself to reduce your excessive fear?
1: Okay, that's a that's a good question. What mantras? Um, I hadn't thought of it explicitly. Um, and as I'm thinking about it, there are a few things that recur in my head. I don't say them like I don't say them out loud or I, I don't do it explicitly as a mantra. Um, but one of them is that I need to stay healthy. I need to stay healthy. I need to stay healthy. Uh, my, my thinking is that, I, like I mentioned earlier, there are some things I can control. And the things I can control are what time I go to bed, um, what what preparations I do before bed so I can get good sleep. Uh, what do I eat during the day? How much I eat during the day? Uh, how much do I exercise? And um, how much time I spend outside getting some sunlight? Uh, th- those are things that are within my control, uh, mostly. Um, other things that could be within my control are uh, like what we were just saying of avoiding certain sites and things like that. So I think my I keep saying implicitly in my head I'm like I'm very focused on like okay I got to stay healthy got to stay healthy. Uh, so I would call that a mantra. And now that I think about it, like, that'd be a good, like, every well,
0: morning. Well, the, the mantra that I would interpret you're saying to yourself is, if I stay healthy, I'm helping myself stay safe. Ah, okay.
1: If I stay healthy...
0: what The thing is, is, you know, what reassuring things are you saying to yourself so to reduce your anxiety? Because I got to stay healthy, I got to stay healthy. That's not a reassuring <laughs> statement. <laughs>
1: okay, fair enough. Okay, okay, so... So let me think of it that way. If I stay healthy, it increases my mental, um, my mental happiness and my body feels better and I can think clearly throughout this crisis and I can reduce the chances of needing to go see a doctor d- during this crisis.
0: Yeah. I would also say implicit in this mantra is I have some control over this f- situation.
1: Uh, okay. So that would be another mantra. There are things I can control. Something along those lines.
0: Yeah. Because I
1: do, I have thought about that and I'm aware of that. There are things that I can control.
0: Okay. Or do you say anything else to yourself?
1: Um, The other one would be, I have, yeah, well, like, this is important one is I I keep reminding myself to reach out to my friends and family. So I've, uh, there's been several times where I send just like a quick message to a friend, like, "Hey, how are you doing?" I've been doing a lot of video calls with my with my brother and my mom and my uh, even my relatives in Colombia. Uh, so I keep telling myself, like, "Oh, hey, reach out to your friends and family. Reach out to your friends and family." Again,
0: well, I don't see the reassuring nature of that. Um, mm-hmm. Like maybe there's a reassurance in there somewhere, but I'm not hearing Umberto okay, okay, reassuring okay. Umberto.
1: I I guess you're right. So let me think about how. So it is. If I, so like by, by reaching out to my friends and family, I can still feel connected.
0: Okay. I can, I'm still able to be connected. to. People. Yeah.
1: Because one of my fears is being isolated and alone and not, you know, and, and also one of my fears is that the, those, those people I love will feel that way too. And so by reaching out, uh, it helps me and them feel still connected.
0: Great. Great. So things that I'm saying to myself are, and this is all just personal. Everyone has their own personal, but you have to out there, if you have excessive anxiety, which I'm guessing you do, you have to have a way to maintain through cognitive methods. This is just what I'm doing. I'm not saying you out there are supposed to do this, but this is what I'm doing. I'm actually reminding myself, which I do frequently anyway, that we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> now, I know that might not you know, uh, relax some of you out there, but it certainly relaxes me because part of the struggle is fighting uh, death, fighting being hurt. And um, if I remind myself like, well, if it's not this, it's going to be something else. So <laughs> not that I'm depressed or demoralized by that. I'm just like, well... I could, you know, some other bug could get me besides coronavirus tomorrow, and I could die from that. And right, so just acknowledging the uh, and accepting the inevitability of death actually relaxes me a little bit because it's just like, well, why fight <laughs> the inevitable? Because it's just it's just going to happen. Um, and the other thing I, I tell myself is, uh, so many people have already died in our species. And somehow that that helps me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like you know, uh, you kind of did this in the beginning, where it's just like these things have come and gone. You know, waves, bubonic plague, uh, um, other kinds of <laughs> um, you know the, the what we call the Spanish flu, which we actually should call the Kansas flu. Right. Um, but uh, you know, other kinds of ep, you know uh, pandemics have have killed lots of people, and and so many people have already died from from this but so many 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 more people percentage-wise died from things in the past and you know it's just one of those things that kills people and maybe it's going to kill me maybe it's going to kill other people for me that that soothes me in a weird way another thing is 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 just telling myself that uh the sickness is in all likelihood survivable um that the the chance of dying, even for vulnerable people, isn't that high. Now, again, you out there might be like, well, that's a stupid thing to say, blah, 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 stats, stats, stats. <laughs> I'm just telling you, when I when I look at the stats, especially when I consider, because the, the the very few people that I know that have it are friends of friends, they- Oh, you know people
1: who have it? Or you know-
0: f- who- Yeah, well, you do too, actually. Um, I won't say their name, but- um, oh, wow. you know this person cuz they've come to you know our big shindigs but oh man um but it's not really a close friend but okay. anyway um and she was talking about what it feels like and um it's pretty bad but you know it sounds like it sounds like a a flu that we've had before you know what i mean right now that's to her obviously other people it's much worse but the way she was describing it it uh it sounded like you know just one of those awful three or four days where you're, you know, you're really sick. And um, the shortness of breath thing was interesting because I always, you know, they always talk about how the symptoms are fever, coughing, dry mm-hmm. cough, and sh- shortness of breath. I thought when they meant shortness of breath, and I'm still not quite sure on this, and maybe you maybe you know, I thought they meant like you'd be wheezing, like you'd be like having an asthma attack, like you'd be suffocating, you know, shortness of breath. But I, But what she was saying was like, when she walks to the bathroom she's short of breath meaning she has to breathe a lot just to get to the bathroom oh, you know, okay. the way the way that you feel when you first land the plane in bogota for example oh. and you're you you know you're at high altitude and you're just kind of like oh man walking up the stairs i'm short of breath
1: right like your your lungs are at reduced capacity so you're having to work harder to suck in air
0: right or you're at higher elevation and you you know there's less oxygen yeah. so you you need to you need to breathe and so that doesn't sound so bad to me because um, I've experienced that in Bogota. I experienced that just a few weeks ago when I was at Lake Tahoe, and which is bizarre to think about, you know, that I was in Tahoe and New Orleans for um, Mardi Gras, which, by the way, New Orleans is now like one of the main epicenters for, for the disease.
1: I saw that, dude. I was thinking about you. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you might have dodged a bullet.
0: I know. It's just so – and I remember when we were at Mardi Gras, I was like – because um, there were already some cases in Seattle at that point, and there, I would remember thinking, like, man, if the coronavirus was down here, like, it would just Tear pass through. from person to person so fast.
1: And that's what it did. I, you know, I, I I thought the same thing in, in February. I got lucky because I, I, I went to Disneyland mid-February. And I almost didn't go because I was like, man, I don't know. Like, this stuff is taking off. And going to Disneyland, like, that seems like... Like a bad idea. But I went ahead and did it. Uh, I, I did my little fear analysis in my head. And then uh, and then shortly after, I mean, like I think two weeks later, they shut it down.
0: Yeah, it just seems absurd, the things that um, we were doing just a month ago. Anyway, so for me, when I hear the actual on-the-ground experience, the other thing is, is that although it's almost sh- – certain that she has it, she hasn't been tested for it, because there's a shortage of tests. And so, and a lot of physicians are saying, well, you know, tell me about your symptoms, let's evaluate it. And let's keep monitor it over the phone or over email. And as long as they're below a certain threshold, you're you're likely one of those people that sh- that's going to survive it. But they, they won't be a um, statistic for the number of people who actually have it. Uh, and those who survive it that so these are the things I tell myself. I'm not saying other people are supposed to say, I'm not, and you can't call me stupid because I'm, I'm looking at the same data you are, and it's reassuring in a certain way that uh, a lot of people out there have it and haven't been counted as having it because there's not enough tests or they didn't know to get tests or whatever. And so the percentage of people who are dying, even among quote-unquote vulnerable populations, but of course younger people are dying as well. I reassure myself when I'm freaking out that even if I get it or even if someone close to me gets it, you know, chances are you roll the dice, you're going to be okay. It's going to suck. Um, It doesn't mean that – again, I feel like I have to rationalize myself because fiercely people are commenting below going, you're stupid. No. My whole point of this model is everyone has to develop their own way of eliminating the excess anxiety. I'm not – Wandering the streets. I'm not, you know, licking uh, doorknobs. I have a plan. I have a plan that's very similar to Umberto's that, if not the same, that's that's the dressing, you know, uh, the the risk my my anxiety has informed me and my decisions, And when I have a spike while I'm, you know, trying to fall asleep at two in the morning. You know, these are the thoughts that run through my head, and it seems to help me. It might not help you. So, so those are things that um, you need to think about. What cognitive, self-reassuring things do you say to yourself to help? Now, it's interesting that when I phrased it to you, Umberto, you had a hard time circuitously reaching a sentence of self-reassurance to yourself, and I think that's indicative of a lot of people. Yep. That when I, when I asked you, what are you saying to yourself? to reduce your anxiety, you're like, well, you know, I'm contacting my mom and my brother over, you know, Zoom. And I'm like, that's, that's a behavior. What do, what are you telling yourself? And I feel like what a lot and I experience this with my clients a lot. Um, unless you cognitively push back on the premises of your anxiety, your anxiety is going to run, but could run rampant in your brain, you have to, you have to match it, To at least mitigate it. You're not going to get rid of the intrusive anxiety, but you can actually mitigate most of it by having self-reassuring sentences. Um, And whatever they happen to be for you, then that's what they happen to be. And again, if and if you don't pay attention to that, then things are going to run rampant. And they have to be quite explicit, um, like the things that I'm talking about. Like for example, um, again, I'm not saying this is what you are supposed to say to yourself out there, but this is what I say to myself. Um, when I have a spike at 2 a.m. in the morning, I say, if I get it, I'll, it'll likely feel like a terrible cold, which I've been through before. And I'm extremely unlikely to die. If my wife gets it, she'll probably have a very bad cold. It'll be probably scary, but in you know 99%... Um, uh, likelihood or some you know high likelihood, she will survive it. Now, now in in a in two months from now, we might find data that completely th- you know refutes that. but my take on the data right now, that statement seems rational to me enough that at two in the morning when I have an eight on the scale of 10, that brings me down to a three. Um, that is a very explicit thing that I tell myself to reduce my anxiety. Okay, so that's cognitive maintenance. We've talked about behavioral maintenance. Now let's talk about attachment maintenance. Do you feel securely attached every day? How often are you cuddling with your loved ones? Are you talking about your anxiety with someone who cares? Are you listening to other people as they talk about their experience? Do you feel like you're a part of, of at least, you know, one or two or three or four people or maybe larger? Do you feel like you're a part of a community? Do you feel alone? Do you feel, you know, touch deprived? Do you feel socially deprived? These are important things, because a primary purpose of our anxiety is to alert us when we're isolated and alone. And this is something that people don't think about a lot. We evolved as attachment-oriented creatures in that when we're alone and isolated, that alerts us – we evolved this, by the way – to the dangers of that by feeling sad, by feeling potentially disoriented, and by feeling alone, and by feeling afraid. When uh, 100,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, when – one of our herd, if you will, was left behind or um, somehow lost their way, we evolved a, a fear response, and that motivated us to find our people and to touch them and to be with them and to have them understand us. That relieves our anxiety. In the same way that you feel fear when you get close to the edge of a cliff, you get fear when you're isolated at home and you haven't touched anyone in, a, in two weeks. So what are you going to do about that? Now, I don't know the solution um, for everyone out there. It's a hard one because if you don't have any pets and you're socially isolated, it's not a good idea to have any contact with other people. I don't know what the solution is. But I'll tell you that that's something that you need to pay attention to. It's something I pay attention to. Um, In some ways, um, I'm getting more of my attachment needs met recently because we're stuck at home and we don't have anything else better to do. (laughs) So... uh, so there's that. I'm also – like right now, Umberto is at his house. I'm at my house. And we're having some social time and we're uh, talking about our emotions and we're connecting. And this makes me feel less isolated, which in all likelihood satisfied that evolutionarily developed uh, mechanism that uh, alerts me to isolation and which you know makes me feel afraid and demoralized. Um, and to motivate me back towards people, and right now I feel connected to Embargo, um, and, and in a sense to the listeners. You know, when I when I'm talking, I'm always th- you know, I always have this sort of sense that people are listening. Um, you know, however many there are. Okay, so those are the other thing. Okay, now the other thing you want to do is you want to do a biological maintenance as well. You want to do bi- biologically uh, oriented maintenance things, like you want to think about. And this is something everyone should be thinking about all the time. How much caffeine are you drinking? How much nicotine are you consuming? How much alcohol are you consuming? How much marijuana are you consuming? Marijuana can go either way. You can become less anxious or you can become more anxious. Uh, Alcohol could be similar. Other substances, what's your diet like? What's your sleep like? What's your exercise like? Are you getting outside? Can you get outside? What's your relaxation practices? Whether it's meditation, mindfulness, uh, yoga, stretching, Um, calisthenics, uh, being aware of your body, uh, getting back rubs, what are you doing? So those are very important things as well. So we have the behavioral things, like not watching the news, we have cognitive things, self reassuring statements, we have attachment maintenance, what are we doing to feel together and with other people, and we have biological maintenance, um, which I just mentioned. So you want to write down this plan if you are struggling. Um, Umberto seems to be doing pretty well because he's talking about how when you know he's at cruising speed he's he's down to a one you know he's distracted he, he he's he's put the plan in place he feels good there's no sense in having extra anxiety and sort of ramping himself up and so he doesn't need necessarily to write down the plan but some of you out there particularly you anonymous patron psychologist from Boston. You might want to write down your plan for maintenance for your extra fear. It's, it's another system of uh, dealing with things, and that might actually reassure you as well. Uh, if you write it all down and say, "Okay, these are all the things that I can do to deal with the extra fear," um, and this is, and when I feel that extra fear, I'm going to go to that plan, look at it, and and you know, do these things like um, reducing, you know, like. Um, This is uh, something that someone might write. They might be like, I will drink only one cup cup of coffee in the morning, or I will walk 45 minutes outside every day, or I will make sure I sleep eight hours a day from here to here. I'm getting a lot of questions from people about these kinds of routine things because I think – Um, people are like, you know, I, I want to improve my immune system, but I also want to improve my anxiety. And I think it's bringing in a sharp focus, a lot of lifestyle things. Um, Berta, you were, you know, thinking about that yourself. I mean,
1: I, I, I can, I can imagine that this kind of situation puts a lot, a lot of things that might've been in the background all of a sudden in focus. It's almost like a good opportunity if you can use it, right? It, It might be hard for many folk out there to, sort of get beyond the stress and the anxiety. Uh, but, but ironically, or interestingly, if you can, this can be an opportunity to to work on some, some of those things that you can control. And that's sort of how I'm using it myself. Uh, I, I was going to tell you later, but I might as well tell you now. So since uh, December 9th, I believe, yeah, since December 9th, I have lost uh, 20 pounds, of weight, wow! And it's all in my right muscle, in my right hand muscle. No, just kidding. No, it's um, it's twenty pounds of weight, and it's it's healthy. You know, I haven't done anything weird. I didn't like triple staple my my esophagus or something. Um, it is it is just through. But the majority of that is been since January, since late January, which is when all this started. So, like between December 9th and late January. I maybe lost four pounds. But but since late January till now, I lost 15 pounds. So that's interesting because I I actually, uh, in many times, many, many times in my life, stress has driven me to overeating. And in this opportunity, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm having to stay home. I have to eat at home. I can't be going out for a happy hour every day. I can't be eating at restaurants all the time. Um, But I have used, this is one way in which I feel kind of blessed right now is that I've been able to use this opportunity to focus in on my health a bit. And that's been really a positive in spite of all the negatives.
0: Well, that's great, Alberto. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. So that's my model. Now, I want to move on to my principles here. But before that, I just want to reiterate the model here. Again, how much fear Do you feel scale from one to ten, and you know how much fear is rational? You know how much does it fluctuate over time. So you just want to get a baseline of you know where your number range is. You range from a two to an eight or something like that. That's just getting the landscape. The second part of this is the cost-benefit analysis of of the fear. You want to evaluate the problem. What exactly is the problem? You know what what's the what's the um, threat to one's safety, and then you want to have an action plan to increase your safety. What is threatening your safety? How do? What are you going to do? What can you do to increase your safety and decrease your risk? And then you want a plan for maintenance of that action plan. Then once that's done, you want to look at what extra fear do I have beyond that? Um, you know, that either is something I can't do anything about, like the uncertainty or the economy or something, um, or it's just extra fear of just like, well, okay, I have my action plan, but I'm still terrified. Okay. Which is normal. And I can relate. Well, what are you, how are you going to manage that fear? Because one, the fear is just extra suffering. And two, the fear can lead to bad things like increased stress, stress, um, and increased risk of illness, this kind of thing. So there's behavioral things you can do. There's cognitive things you can do. There's attachment things you can do. There's biological things you can do. There's probably other things, but those are the, the big ones. Okay, so now let's go on to my principles of, of this whole situation. So, and I talked about this before, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, bro. We all have a moral responsibility to do what we can to help others, we can't. We're not isolated. We're, you know, our situation is not just us alone. We are a or, we are a collective organism, like an ant colony, and we everything we do likely impacts others. So, um, regardless, so you might, for example, out there listening, you might be like, "Well, my plan, um, given my situation, is such that you know what." Um, I might die and I just don't really care. You know, I've, I've made my peace with God. And if I die, you know, Lord wants to take me, I'm going to go to heaven. um, That's okay. That's totally okay for you, but you also have a moral responsibility to others, which means that you have to do everything you can within reason to not risk contamination of others, particularly if you're sick, but really all the time, because you don't know if you're sick or not. Also, don't hoard supplies, you know, if your action plan involves like, well, I'm going to buy everything in the store. um, That's, that's not okay. Another thing to think about is, you know, your online shopping behavior, a lot of people are at home, and they're like, well, I might as well do online shopping. Well, you might be uh, sort of clogging the system, participating in clogging the system so that some people can't get needed supplies on time. So you just want to think about um, the bigger picture there. Also, helping at-risk people, either by, you know, reaching out to them or getting them groceries, leaving it at their doorstep. I don't know. There's various different things one can do. Also, don't spread misinformation. Uh, don't reward the spreading of misinformation by clicking on it or sharing it or giving it any kind of juice. You want to vote for politicians, you understand fucking science and respect the fucking experts and I'm not talking about just Republicans because Democrats haven't been paying attention either. none of our politicians have been paying attention enough, and it's been driving all of us crazy for a very very long time and and so uh and this is around the world okay yep um you know uh was it um the Starbucks guy, when he was running for the Democratic nomination, that his entire platform was uh, climate, climate change. Was that him?
1: Oh, I know someone was. I don't know if it was the Starbucks. It was either the Starbucks guy's name?
0: Howard something? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh,
0: anyway, someone from our area, his entire platform, he was a very distant, you know, 20th place in the right. Democratic primary. Uh, nine months ago or something. And his entire platform was on climate change. And he was unique in the Democratic uh, uh, political discussion. Uh, That is absurd. Um, (laughs) That he was unique in most of his platform was climate change. Um, uh, And that was in the Democratic Party. It's disgraceful. Um, And you out there have a moral responsibility to vote. Now, you can complain about your politicians, but... What you need to do is you need to they they represent us right. So when we vote for them and we tell them what to do, they do what the voters what their voters tell them to do. It's not their fault that their voters are telling them what to do. <laughs> it's the voters' fault for telling them what to do because the the politicians are are always trying. Now there's a feedback loop, but blah blah. We can go into detail, but <laughs> my point is is that we all need to vote w- responsibly and we need to put. A hell of a lot more emphasis on politicians that respect science and do what the experts tell them to do to save us. The experts are not saying shit for their own benefit. Often, they have no monetary benefit from this shit that they're saying. Most scientists are just like um, people. We're all going off a cliff. In fact. A lot of scientists are probably privileged enough to avoid going off the cliff. What a lot of the – especially with climate change, for example, they're talking about like most of the poor people are going to get wiped off the planet, you know? Um, So uh, the fact that we as a people are – Voting for politicians based on how well they can diss another person on a stage during a debate is fucking ridiculous. Who won this debate? Who the fuck cares? Which person (laughs) respects the experts based on their policies and their voting? You know, who tweeted about this and that? Who's narcissistic? Fuck that. It doesn't mean shit. We need to be paying attention to who respects the experts. What politician up on that stage says, you know what? The answer to that question is. I would talk to an expert and ask them, and then I would work with a team that incorporates science into the evaluation and the action plan. Basically, I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist on that. I can't tell. I, I can tell you what they're telling me, but you know that my plan is to respect the experts, and then I will put that expert uh, opinion into a plan for our society. That should be their answer. It should never be like, "Well, my position." You know, it, it should be. I My position is based on expert scientific opinion. I'm just one person. How the fuck would I – how am I supposed to know everything about science? So the person who says that is the person that I will vote for. None of them are ever going to say that because that person would never get elected because we're too stupid of a fucking populace to recognize that's the person we need to vote into office.
1: Yes. Hear, hear.
0: So also, if you can, uh, you know, avoid being yelled at by your podcaster, but also <laughs> – Um, contribute to organizations that help. You know, if if you have, if privileged enough you have extra funds, contribute to organizations. I'm sure you could find them. Um, And of course, get fucking vaccinated when it becomes available. No more of this bullshit, you know, talk about, you know, it's like, get vaccinated people. If if there was ever a time to recognize that science is important, it's now, okay? Uh, And if a vaccination is going to eliminate, even if, you know, 0.1% 0.1% of people who get the the vaccine tr- create some kind of problem which it probably won't by the way it'll probably be like 0.00001% and even then it's just like well maybe it was caused by the vaccine maybe it wasn't we need to uh recognize science and the experts in that situation so yeah but but Kirk Kirk to
1: be fair the flu kills a lot more people each year than measles or polio ever does you know so
0: <laughs> yeah so those are my moral uh because, like I said, we all have a, a benefit by doing the cost benefit analysis of fear for ourselves and the action plan for ourselves, but that doesn't divorce us from the moral responsibility to society, which we also have to incorporate into our plan. It just so happens that me and Umberto's plan uh, coincides with a moral responsibility to others because we're locking ourselves in our houses and we're not going to contaminate other people if we do get sick. So, um, But some people out there might be like, you know what? I got to go to work. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm afraid of getting sick, but I'm also afraid of financial ruin and becoming homeless. So I got to go to work. And that means I might be putting other people at risk. Well, how are you going to manage that situation? You know what I mean? Um, And and also uh, another part of the moral responsibility is there's a lot of people yelling at other people like, stay home. What are you doing? Leaving the house. Um, you know, you have a moral responsibility to point out behavior that you think is harming you and other people for sure. But you also have a moral responsibility to figure out like, well, maybe that person is in a special situation, you know, maybe they're a nurse that they're, they're going to work or maybe, um, their dog just ran across the street and they're, you know, we have a moral responsibility to kind of evaluate the situation, You know, as as sort of caringly as we can. The other situation to think about, like there, because my wife flips through Facebook and her echo chamber is there's all this terrible news that I'm not getting at all. And one of the things she came across was apparently someone was um, uh, licking all of the deodorant um, at in a store and got caught, which is yeah, which is absurd. You know, because the 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 tagline apparently this is through my wife. She was saying. That someone was trying to purposely infect everyone with coronavirus by licking all of the deodorant. The first thought I had was, well, you can't transmit uh, the coronavirus <laughs> that way because it can't go through your armpit. The other thing is, is not, there's a risk there, obviously, because you might touch your face. But, um, but the other thing to think about people is you know, delusional and schizophrenic and psychotic people haven't become non-psychotic through this crisis. In fact, they're probably more symptomatic given services might be harder to access blah 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 so you know when you're reading these stories consider the fact that the person might be delusional and might need mental health treatment it's not necessarily that you know there's there's some evil force out there that's trying to ruin other people's lives now there is there are sadistic people who actually are trying to harm other people and this would provide them a way of harming others but um anyway that's just part of my moral responsibility we have a moral responsibility to you know, to, to to shout at people like, hey, don't do that, but also, you know, care about other people and be like, well, maybe there's a circumstance there, you know, that prevents them from uh, doing it. Like for me, for example, I have allergies all year round, and today doesn't change, especially when I'm outside the house. My nose just starts to run, especially in cold weather. And so if someone saw me, Asian, you know, blowing their nose— They might be like, hey, fuck you, get out of here, you know, and and it's just like, you know, we just need to be careful about the sort of conclusions we jump to.
1: That's no joke, man. First of all, um, I have had to push back uh, pretty vehemently against some people in my in my feed on in my circle where they were pushing the whole uh, China virus and things like that Um, or, you know one person linked a video of a of a wet market in Indonesia but they they the both the article they were posting it was a youtube video and their wordings about it was like this is the wuhan market that caused and then the the sentence was like these people deserve it and all the comments were like look at those gross things they're eating and all this and and i i was just like i had zero patience for that you know i'm like first of all Who the fuck are we to point any fingers about people killing animals and eating them? Like, shut the fuck up. Number one. Number two, um, this isn't even like a China wet market. And number three, this is the whole xenophobia of like the China virus thing that you're feeding into. And um, luckily, I had a few other people back me up and they sort of, I don't know, they fully backed off, but they – they eased off the accelerator a little bit, but it, it's ridiculous. And then that lead—they didn't see the connection to that leading to to people getting beat up and 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 uh, seriously mistreated by our society uh, because they look Asian or whatever. It's ridiculous.
0: Well, thanks for sticking up for for us yellows. That's I appreciate that a lot.
1: That's right, man.
0: Um, the last thing here is existential therapy, which we can all think about and. The following things, I'm curious, Umberto, what you think. Uh, there are th- I kind of boil it down to three things. Not everyone would boil it down this way, but I, I have. Number one, suffering is an inherent part of life, and we have the freedom to choose how to respond to that suffering. We can't get rid of the suffering. We can mitigate the suffering. We can av- potentially av- control and avoid some suffering, but suffering in general is an inherent part of life, um, death included in that, in that suffering, and people dying close to us right. is a part of that suffering. We can't control that. We have no ability to take that away, but we have the freedom to choose how we respond to that suffering. So that's number one. Number two is we have a need for meaning and purpose when we are faced with our inevitable suffering and death. Immediately, we come into you know face this inevitable of, of uh, limited time, and so. Uh, and a big part of our mental health is based on living our purpose, living our meaning. You know, what, what is the meaning of my life? Why am I here? Um, what am I supposed to do? Um, and when, we fe- when we're in the zone living our purpose, like right now, I'm living my purpose. My purpose is to try to make the world a better place in a, whatever small way I can. And also to express myself, I guess, and to create things. And this podcast is a part of that. I'm creating right now. I'm expressing myself right now. I'm trying to make the world a better place right now. And there's, I have no fear right now of the coronavirus killing me you know, tomorrow because um, at this moment in the flow state, I am in my zone. And, there's, and if, if the coronavirus takes me, it's like, well, I, I didn't waste my time. And I'm I'm doing I'm – doing, but it doesn't even really enter my mind because when you're in the flow state and you're doing what – you're doing your purpose, you don't really – I don't really think about other things that might be bad things. And so a lot of people are sitting at home right. just kind of staring at Netflix or staring at the wall, freaking out. And a part of that might have to do with the fact that they don't even know what their purpose is. They don't know what the meaning of their life is. And so when they're faced with their death, they have nothing to get into that flow state of – This is why I'm here. Um, You know, possible examples that I'll hear people say are, I'm here to parent my kids. I'm here to feed the poor. I'm here to uh, make a good life for my family. I'm here to spread joy. I'm here to create the perfect board game. I'm here to learn. I'm here to teach. I'm here to um uh, give my kids a financial future. You know, these are things that people say. There's you know uh, there's there's no va- there's no value judgment to any of those purposes. Everyone comes up with with their own purpose. Now if someone said my purpose in life is to kill everyone then you know I would have a problem with that. But most people have uh, <laughs> uh you know very acceptable purposes that they come to.
1: Well what if what if their purpose in life was to make everything about evolutionary biology, psychology, <laughs>
0: Or um, ruin Star Wars. How about that one?
1: Or ruin- oh, yeah. yeah. My purpose in life is to put movie after movie that ruins, progressively wor- ruins the Star Wars universe. Yeah,
0: My purpose <laughs> in life is to add more layers to the Midi Chlorian storyline. <laughs> um, and I'm going to, it's, it's going to, uh, instead of the Mandalorian, it's going to be the Midi Chlorians. And there's going to be th- these little beings that live in Anakin's blood and and they have conversations.
1: When there's a midichlorian pandemic throughout the galaxy and everyone has to stay home, but some Jedi's don't listen and they go out and they get infected with midichlorians.
0: Yeah, God. (laughs) Um, So, you, when existential therapy provides us a system and and an understanding of just like um, suffering is inevitable, as a lot of existential philosophers would talk about. And you you have, but you have the freedom to choose what you're going to do about it. Um, you don't have the freedom to get rid of the suffering, but you do have a freedom to, to choose what you're going to do. You also need to find your purpose and meaning, and, and you do that by taking action. You don't find meaning by just sitting there staring at the wall. You find meaning through action, and that's something that a lot of people misunderstand. You, uh, It's like – because it seems like a thought process, like, huh, what's my meaning in life? And for sure, you need to reflect to find – but. The only way you can really discover your purpose is by doing things and then going, huh, that felt like a, a meaningful thing that I just did. Um, you can't just, you know, because a lot of uh, people, particularly today, I find people will, you know, they're 25, 35, and they, they're they trying to figure out their the purpose of their life. They they, tr- they visualize things, you know, they're like, well, I imagine that if I, you know, worked with animals Uh, You know, that would would give me meaning in life because being a veterinarian, blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't know that until you do it. So if you become a veterinarian and it just so happens you were right in predicting that that would provide a flow state purpose of your life, then great. But you might actually do veterinarian work and find that it doesn't actually provide you purpose. So you have to – you discover it by doing things. Now, thinking is a part of that but you won't really know until you do it. The, the third thing here is that meaning and happy. Oh, I just said that. Meaning and happiness are not given to you. So, Berto, for you, what's the purpose of your life and does that help you through this time?
1: Okay, so I think it does help me, first of all. Uh, second, so my purpose... The, I think that there is a deep purpose and a, and a more mid, mid... I won't call it superficial because that minimizes it, but like a mid-purpose. I'll start with my mid-purpose. I think my mid-purpose in life... Is to make the uh, the enjoyment of life increase the enjoyment of life for myself and those in my circle. So that means uh, t- make taking actions that in the long run and in the sh- in the mid to long term will lead towards more happy moments, more happy moments together. And I really think that that's that's my purpose, rather than say um, just you know like you were saying like avoiding death or something. And it's, it's more like Look, we're gonna have n number of moments. What can I do in each one, each one of my days and interactions to make sure that we have more fun, happy moments as a family, as a group of friends, and individually?
0: That's really interesting. I I never knew that about you. I, I I, I can't believe it's taken us this long for me to ask you that question. How does? I
1: wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that when we met. Yeah, I I think this is something that I've developed a realization over the last decade. Slowly, I, I actually, I think. A lot of credit goes to our our relationship and our podcast and everything because I think I've shifted my focus from being very um, like, what do I want to accomplish in life towards more of like, you know, the things that I've gotten the most value in my life are my relationships, you know, like my friendships, my family, and the memories of those. So I, I look at it nowadays like, all right, well, uh, what is it that I can do to have more of those, and what 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 could I avoid to to de-risk having less of those, you know, fewer of those?
0: That's really beautiful, Berto. I, and I assume I'm part of that equation. No joke. And uh, um, of course, uh, that's yeah. uh, that's really. I guess you're part of my equation. You know, when I'm trying to make the world a better place, I'm I'm often I have you in mind.
1: Well, to be clear, I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of you so I can have more fun
0: times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I kid, of course. Yeah, definitely. And I have, I I guess, a deeper purpose, which is essentially the same thing but at a more metaphoric level. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit before, maybe a lot, I don't know, but uh, I look at the universe in terms of creation and destruction, and both are necessary, as we know. Uh, But I do think that there is this decision that – that we as sentient organisms with at least the illusion of free will or whatever that we can make moment to moment and 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 it's basically a decision of do we want these experiences to keep going aka do we want like to create more opportunities for great experiences as sentient cre- creatures in this universe or not and we we whether we think we're deciding on this or not we are every moment and every day of our lives. So when we're doing things like throwing away stuff in the oceans and being mean to each other and shooting people and all these things, we're actually destroying. We're, we're ensuring fewer of those beautiful moments in the future. And when we're doing things like, all right, well, what can I do to like maybe help keep things going longer, like conserve better, be a better neighbor, be a better family member, all those things, then we're doing more creation. And, we're, and by the way, literally creating – like creating music, creating inventions, creating uh, – even if you're a doctor or whatever, is you're creating health. You're creating better opportunities for people to be together like a therapist and stuff like that. All those things to me are the right in, – in my mind, in my philosophy, are the right decisions. But, and then as it applies to me, I narrow it down to be like, okay, well, what, what right decisions could I make to make sure that I have better of those – more of those great moments with my family and friends in the future
0: well that's fantastic I think we should just end there all right everyone um, I hope this helps you I hope it inspires you if uh, let us know what your purpose in life is um, and if you haven't found it find an existential therapist or talk with your therapist about how to find it or just spend time exploring yourself because without a, a meaning uh, you know whether you die uh, from this current situation heaven forbid. Heaven forbid or you die when you're 120 years old. Uh, it, it, it you got to have a meaning in life. You got to have a purpose. Otherwise, um, it's it's not going to feel fulfilling, um, and sure. it, and it will all be just a lot of suffering for nothing. It'll feel that way. That's what it often feels like to people. And so, um, how are you doing? How, you know what what mantras are you telling yourself? Let, let's start sharing those in the comments below. Um, Anywhere public, you can do it. Also, um, if you want to go to the Facebook fan page then you can share a lot there. I just, you know, you can you can send me an email, but that's just one person. Um, it'd be better if you kind of shared your experience with others. We're all in this together, and all of you listeners, you know, we don't have that many listeners, and um, and a percent, only a percentage of them actually comment and communicate about this sort of stuff. But the two best places, if you're watching this on YouTube, is to comment below or to go to the Facebook fan page because there you can post stuff and, and participate in conversations there. Um, so, you know, let, let's all... Uh, pull together is a lot of smart people half of you are therapists um, and all of you are beautiful people so please uh, let's let 's all do what we can to support each other and and self care for ourselves Because and take care of yourselves and other people yeah. i like guess just re- that 's just redundant because <laughs> we all and definitely you
1: deserve it